Now, I'm going to uh, go straight into uh, to, to the sermon, uh, and I want to, uh, you to notice that my, my text, uh, actually, uh, it, it's, a, it's three texts. We might say it's a hybrid sermon based upon three texts. And my title uh, of the sermon is, Wake Up, the Enemy is Upon You. Uh, those words are, are taken, part of those words are taken from that text in Judges, which I read, when Delilah said to Philistine, Wake up, the Philistines are upon you. Now, this is, this is a, a, a text about, and a sermon about shock encounters that wake people up from dangerous sleeping states. In Samson's case, case he woke up from a, dang, a potentially dangerous sleeping state into an actual dangerous sleep, uh, a waking state of being, having his eyes gouged, gouged out having his, himself being tied and then becoming a slave. And I want us to notice that in this first text I'm looking at, in quite a lot of detail, the story of Samson, Samson's destiny was to be a leader of Israel in rebellion against the Philistines. But our texts tell us that he was asleep, unaware of the danger he was in, of the fact that he was completely denuded of all of his strength, and then he was captured. And then, in fact, of course, uh, he was humiliated. And it appeared that this great leader that was meant to uh, help to deliver Israel from, uh, from, from the oppression of the Philistines, he appeared to be completely destroyed. Now, I've mentioned already, Samson is not a model for Christians. He was under the control in most areas of his life. He was under the control of extremely sinful habits. The one habit he didn't have, he wasn't a drinker, because that was part of the Nazarite vow. He wasn't a drinker, and he didn't go to the barbers. That was about the, the, only, the only thing that he kept to in terms of God's vocation. He was given, as he grew older, this unique strength given by the Spirit of God so the, he, had, he was part of the special forces of the Israelite army. He was an army of one. Which he, he continued to be able to be strong in, in, uh, in battles against uh, the Philistines as long as he kept to the Nazarite vows of keeping his, keeping his hair on. Now, we learn something. God overruled Samson's sinful habits and rob, rotten choices he made in life. He used him with his defects to deliver Israel. His birth had been predicted uh, in Judges 13, 5, a verse I didn't read earlier. Uh, the angel says to, um, to Samson's mother, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin to save Israel. He was going to be the one who initiated the great deliverance. And yet, what do we find in the first 20 years or so of Samson's life? We find episode after episode of a sinful person. He had no control of his romantic desires or his sexual impulses. Uh, he, he, was, he, he, found, he found himself, of, in the 20 years when he basically was a judge, um, he didn't live up to the basic idea 
of the Nazarite identity. You know, the, the Nazarites were meant to be holy to the Lord. And yet the only thing that Samson actually kept holy to the Lord was his hair and beard and the fact he didn't drink. His destiny was to be holy and given over to God. And yet what did he do? Well, we can see from an early age, he was friendly with the Philistines, the oppressors of God's people. He hung, he hung around with them. He spent most of his days, it appears, dallying with them. He married someone who was, who was not in, in, the, in the Israelite faith, was not true to the living God, and he married a Philistine idolater. Then we, we find him mixing with Philistine prostitutes. And he finally, in this last chapter, you know, the, uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, time when he became romantically obsessed with a, a, a Philistine woman, uh, which we assume she was, we find it said of Samson, he did what was right in his own eyes. Now, if anybody knows the Old Testament, they will know doing what was right in his own eyes is something that characterized a rebellious Israel. And that's what Samson was like most of his life. Um, for instance, when he decided to marry a Philistine woman, his father and mother said to him, Judges 14.3, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that, you, might, that you, you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? In other words, the unbelieving, idolatrous, disobedient, wicked Philistine culture. Isn't there, isn't there a, an Israelite woman? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, despite this, Complete oblivion to actually God's overall will. After all, Samson would have, would have known the law of Moses, would have known the covenant relationship that God's people was meant to have with God, to, to obey his word, to walk with him. Well, most of the time he was guided by his own impulses and own desires. I mean, Samson gambled, didn't he, with a group of Philistine young men in order to scam them. He, 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 you may remember the, the story of when uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him when a, 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 a lion attacked him, and, he, and he, he was able to kill the lion. And later on, uh, bees made their, made their nest in the, in the carcass of the lion, and there's a great lot of honey, and he, and he took it home as a present and so on. But he, he made a riddle out of this and tried to scam his Philistine mates, um, um, you know, from, um, you know, from this, from this riddle. And, and the riddle eventually, um, s someone, uh, someone found out the meaning of the riddle from Samson himself, and uh, he lost the bet. In his anger, he then destroys crops and storehouses of all the Philist Philistines. And uh, the thing is this, is that most of what the, the uh, Old Testament describes of, of Samson's behavior is a man that is not living a holy life. He goes on to um, get involved in a after getting married, he gets involved uh, in a, to a Philistine woman. He, he eventually gets involved in a, a massive battle using his amazing power and strength to kill a, a thousand soldiers who attacked him. And the result of that was 
this decisive victory against Philistines made him the, the judge or leader of Israel for 20 years. But during those 20 years, he continued to abuse his power and his body. He actually behaved, as I mentioned earlier, morally and religiously like a Philistine. Lying and cheating, conniving ways, sexual immoralities, the prostitution, the betrayal of the covenant in marrying an idol worshipper, and then going certainly to sleep regularly with Delilah, who uh, uh, almost certainly was a Philistine, becoming obsessed with this woman, uh, living immorally with her, and she betrayed him for a chest of coins. But here's the amazing thing. God was still actually using him. Because actually, by, you know, you know kind of ironically, all of the acts that were based on, on Samson's carnal nature actually resulted in victories for Israel. Because the Philistine power was degraded bit by bit by this this you know this untamed wild force of who Samson was when uh, he was given the power of the Spirit of God. God used him despite his flaws and his failures. But of course, we then have this seeming terrible, uh, terrible uh, defeat when he's bound, he's blinded, and then enslaved and humiliated. But of course, we see that that final thing which again was a on a human level was a result of his stupid relationship with Delilah God was going to use to have a massive impact upon the struggle with the Philistines the the tearing of the temple down the tearing of those of those pillars which led to the collapse of the temple killing all of the Philistine elite 3,000 or so people which meant a, a, a further, a further um, deliverance or the initiation of further deliverance of, uh, of uh, the Israelites from um, Philistine control. Now, the thing is this. Sam, Samson suddenly had this, this awareness that his whole life was falling apart when, when you know, he heard this the Philistines are upon you, wake up. And he wakes up and indeed it looks like his world does fall apart. But in the amazing grace of God, God uses Samson in his weakness and actually answers his prayer and he is enabled to, to do the Lord's will with the last few breaths of his life. And look, this is encouragement for anybody online or is in the church who may feel that, well, they're a bit like Samson. They've wasted some of their life. Maybe some people, someone online might think they've wasted most of their life. It says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost, I am the chief. Now I want us to notice this, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now there is, uh, there's Two words in John's Gospel. Jesus wept. Now, the actual word for weeping there is actually talking about an overflow of grief. It's not just talking about, oh, Jesus wept, had a quick, quick little tear in his eye, and then he, you know, dabs it with a handkerchief, and then he goes on. No. Jesus wept with an overflow 
of, of grief. Who is this for? It was for Lazarus, friend, but also a normal, human, sinful person. But the people were amazed around him and said, look how much he loved him. And that's why we, 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 we can guess not just from the verb that was used, but also from their reaction that Jesus' love was overflowing for this sinful person that was also a friend of Jesus. Now look, tonight, what, what a comfort and encouragement is to you and me as sinful people. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God in eternity, overflows with love for us. Overflows with compassion. And indeed, Jesus, when he was upon earth, he wept for Jerusalem. He wept for the, for the, the, the elite that were going to have him killed. He wept for the people that abandoned him. He wept for his disciples. He was filled with love for everyone. How wonderful this is. Are you too bad for Jesus? No. Because Jesus' tears extend to the worst of the worst. And uh, it's, a, it's an encouragement to know this um, for us as individuals. Uh, so uh, if we haven't come to Christ, we'll come to him tonight. Because he, he has arms extended to you. He, he calls out to you. Look, my, my arms are open. In the Old Testament, God himself says, my, you know, my arms are always wide open, you know, to, and come. And Jesus Christ himself welcomes you tonight to, to ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him for his Holy Spirit uh, to be with you and, and empower you and change you. And if you trust him, trust his death on the cross he will receive you. But this is also an encouragement, I think, to, to backslidden Christians. Even more so, I think, than to non-Christians. Because Samson is a picture of a, of a weak Christian, or for that matter, a weak church. And, you know, the very fact that Samson got himself into all these stupid situations that we, that we read about, uh, he got himself into sinful, idiotic, Situations. He got himself into situations which, frankly, are shameful and uh, are uh, situations that um, uh, the Word of God says is wicked and, and turning away from living God. And yet, a backslidden person like Samson or a backslidden person like I have been in my life at times, or maybe you are, the Lord will, can still use you. But, you see, there's a warning here. You see, the thing is that um, Samson started off as, a, as a, a young kid, a Nazarite, holy to the Lord. And I'm sure his parents did actually try uh, to bring him up in the law of Moses. But something happened that turned him into a, such a willful, self-centered, impulsive person that he actually became. Sin starts... With little things. I once uh, heard from a woman who, who actually caught, she said she caught a massive spider in her house. And being a nice lady, she, she didn't want to kill the spider, so she, she, she put a glass on it and this big fat, I mean, fat, fat spider and, and took it outside and let it wander away into the undergrowth. 
But she said she, there was another little, very minute little spider that was by the big spider, and, and I, I would gather that it was basically a, a baby of this big spider. And she said, oh, well, it was only a little one, so I let it get away. But, of course, that little spider is eventually going to grow into another enormous spider and perhaps might have lots of other enormous spiders uh, as its progeny. And actually, that is what sin is like. We say, oh, it's only a little sin. But little sins lead on to bigger and bigger sins. Christians, Christians who fall away for a time from the Lord, often it's caused by a little sin that grows bigger and bigger and bigger in their lives. And the Lord warns us that actually we are to be holy. And that includes getting rid of individual sins. But we then go through the process, I guess, which uh, Backslider does, which Samson himself went through. We are actually taken hold of by a temptation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has seized you, has overtaken you, that is not common to all mankind. But God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. But actually, sometimes as Christians, when a temptation takes us, takes us over, we take the temptation on. We accept it. We fall into that temptation. We, oh, it's only a little thing. It doesn't really matter. But actually, once we're seized by the temptation, once it takes hold of us, then often our eyes are gouged out. Just like the Philistines gouged Samson's eyes out. We're blinded to our true spiritual state. We then are chained like he was by our spiritual lifestyle, by the life that suddenly starts to be formulated, starts to coalesce around our lives, our habits, our relationships, our friends, our attitudes. And then we eventually end up enslaved because we're, well, we're doing the devil's will because we're not living as the children of God. That's the worst place a, a, you know, a backslidden Christian can get into and sometimes we do get like that. Praise God. The story of Samson tells us and tells you that no matter how far you've gone down the road of backsliding, whether it be just a little down the way or whether it's been many years, the Lord will have you back. Trust him. Samson cried out this one last time. Grant me your spirit. If you are, if you are in a state where you know you're not right with God, cry out, Lord, this time, not one last time, but this time, Lord, grant me the strength to change, to trust you. Help me to, to believe in your forgiveness and help me, Lord, uh, to live by your spirit and through your spirit and through your power in my life. You see, the, the Bible tells us that um, Christians are prone to this sleeping sickness. You know, wake up! The enemy is upon you. And, and, you know, we can get into that state where we don't realize that actually, uh, you know, we're being attacked on all sides by spiritual forces, but we don't even realize what's happening. Now, it's mentioned on many occasions, this very idea in the New Testament. So Paul says in Romans 13, verse 11, I read this earlier. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. For you're all children of light, children of the day, we're not of the night or of the darkness. So let, let us not sleep as others do, but let's keep us awake and sober. How important it is for us to understand that we are in a dynamic situation. The enemy of God's people is not the Philistines, a, a tin pot 
uh, uh, tribe that uh, controlled um, part of the northern coastland of Israel. No, we have a mighty enemy that is at work all of the time. The devil is at work to cause Christians to fall into sin, to, to, um, to, to, to attack the church in lots of different ways, to try to destroy the cause of the gospel. Let's not be asleep. Let's wake up out of this sleeping sickness. Think of the the great evils that come upon Christians uh, when they're in this state of of spiritual sleepiness. Bitterness that can take over. That that, that Christians can, can be Christians but let bitterness and hatred take over their lives. They won't even go to church sometimes because of some relationship that's gone wrong. Or some family member that they've actually started to hate. Think of all the ways in which, uh, as Henry was mentioning this morning, money can take hold of people's lives. Idolatry can take hold of Christians' lives. There is a diabolical intelligence alive and working on planet Earth, and he has you targeted and me targeted. I'm not going to use the word devil that much when I'm talking about him now, because the trouble is with the English word devil, it has been so trivialized and so abused by all kinds of things the devil's kitchen, little devils, devils may, devil may care attitude and so on. We don't take the word devil really seriously. But indeed the devil is an evil roaring predator seeking to consume and destroy our Christian lives. And we're often completely asleep. In some ways we're not paranoid enough about the dangers from Satan. You know, I mean, obviously mentally ill people sometimes are paranoid about demons and this kind of stuff and uh, have a totally unbalanced and unhealthy attitude to the demonic. But I'm not talking about the demonic. I'm talking about the devil himself. We can never, we can never underestimate um, the malice of the devil and how he might want to destroy our life. And so that's what, what when Paul says to the Ephesians, you know, with, there are hosts of, of, of uh, wickedness in the heavenly places that our struggle is against. We need to put on the full armor of God in order to be able to, uh, to, uh, to survive. Let's wake up to it. Let's wake up to the fact that we're in a world that still hates Christianity. And it doesn't matter actually whether, uh, when we're talking about worldly society, whether it's the conservatives or the labor or the liberal party, or you know, whether, whether we belong to one of those parties or not. You know, you might be a, a member of the conservative party and... and Nothing, you know, perfectly honourable thing to do is indeed to be honourable to any member of any political party. But the truth is, the individuals in those parties, if they're not Christ's, they're enemies of Christ. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And anybody in whatever grouping, whether they be our neighbours, family or friends, that are not Christ's, ultimately, they're against him. And we've got to be awake that this, the world ultimately is the, the, uh, the, the entity that actually, actually put, took Jesus to the cross. And we must awake to the fact that we are not to compromise with that society or the world. We are not to compromise with our own sinful, treacherous, selfish, fleshly nature. We need to be awake. We need to, uh, we need to be awake, uh, paradoxically, as, uh, and have an awakening in churches. Um, it's interesting, really, that the, the word great awakening uh, is used for a, a great evangelistic revival. But revival in the church actually only happens if there's an awakening in the church first. 
That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.14. He says, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So an awakening is is something that happens to Christians when they wake up and suddenly... You know, take the gospel and the promises of God and the work of the Spirit seriously. Then, then they become people who look carefully how they walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of the time because of the days are evil. And, uh, and, and living in the Spirit. Now consider these amazing promises that we read about many times in, in the Bible. About the strength and victory given to Christians. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a promise there. Sin shall not have dominion over you, because you're not under law, but under grace. We could go through, really, dozens, scores of great promises of strength and victory. We need to be awake to the fact that we can, with God's help, actually have that victory. You see, the story of Samson gives wonderful hope to every individual, every individual backslider, or for that matter, any Christian in whatever state they are. Wonderful hope to individuals and churches. We're told with Samson that his hair started to grow again. And as his hair started to grow again, and of course he could only have felt it with with his hands, because he couldn't see it, but his hair grew again, his beard grew again, his th- thoughts must have turned back to the Lord. And maybe he, maybe he realized then all the ways he'd failed the Lord, living uh, according to his own eyes, his own, his own ways. Um, and then he, he, he cried out, and then God blessed him with that, that uh, empowerment of the Spirit to be able to tear a temple down. Now, how wonderful this is, that we as Christians, whatever age we are and whatever state we are, the Lord can give us power and strength to do mighty things in his sight. It may not be, seem mighty to the world, but it does to God. You know, to, to witness, to share the gospel, to do good works, to help the poor and the needy, um, uh, to, to comfort the afflicted. These are acceptable and beautiful in God's eyes. These are mighty works and we can do them with God's help. Samson's hair grew again and the characteristic of the holy dedicated person started coming upon him. He he was now a Nazarite again and at that point the Lord used him. With us as believers we may have been you know living for whatever reason cold lives for, for, for time. Um, we're told that about, isn't it, the church at Laodicea. They thought, before they woke up and they heard the voice of Jesus, they thought that they were, they were rich, they were, they were healthy, they, they were in a good state, but Christ poured out, uh, poured out a message to them, which was a really awaking message, wasn't it? No, you're, you're poor, you're blind, you need riches from me. You need, uh, you need uh, medicine to make your eyes see. And of course, Christ gives it to us. However weak we are, he can give us the spiritual strength to start again. There's nothing automatic about Christian revival. I mean, in, in Samson's case, his hair grew naturally. Um, 
Um, you know, just as a matter of, of biological uh, fact, you know, hair grows, even on a corpse, I believe. But uh, the basic thing is this, that essentially Christian revival isn't automatic. The means of grace happens when we are, we are woken up and then we, we start to pray. And once we start to pray, we start to read the word and we grow strong and nourished again on the word of God. Some, some believers are so depressed, so um, something's happened in their life that's made them spiritually depressed, that they just remain in a complete state of, of, of uh, profound depression and sleepiness. Um, Notice that when uh, Jesus' disciples in Matthew chapter 26, when they, uh, when they were uh, supposed to be um, awake, um, praying with Jesus, and perhaps we could turn over to Matthew 26 verse 38, you'll see that um, Jesus asks them in Matthew 26 38, which I'll uh, look it up in the church Bible. Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Now, Jesus was in a profound state of sorrow. But even though he was, you might say, depressed, he didn't go to sleep. What did he do? In that state of extreme sorrow, in, in, the, in the state of extreme depression, if you like, at what was happening in the world and was going to happen to him and what was going to happen to his disciples, he said, join with me, watch and pray. So Matthew 26, verse 38, which is on page 989, page 989, uh, it tells us, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, I want us to notice that Jesus did not stop praying when he didn't seem to get an answer. He didn't get an immediate answer. He didn't stop praying. He didn't say, oh, it's so depressing. I'm... He carries on. But what are his disciples doing? Verse 43, And again he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Now, here's a wake-up call for the disciples. They had not been watching and praying. They were also depressed. We're told in the other Gospel account, I think it's Luke, that... When Jesus found them the third time, he found them sleeping because of the sorrow. They themselves had, were depressed. They had, they had had un, uh, unwelcome truths told to them by Jesus the night before uh, he was about to die. And it suddenly was sinking in. The master may be in trouble. 
There isn't going to be the kingdom happening tomorrow, but rather something disastrous is going to happen. They were depressed, or they were certainly sorrowful and grieving, but it caused them ultimately not to pray, but to give up. Now, I do think this is really important for me, actually, uh, as much as anybody in my congregation here. When faced with setbacks, do we just sink back into a depression rather than pray and continue to pray? Um, This may be the cause of backsliding. That sinking back from praying, facing a disastrous thing that seems to have happened in our life, but instead of actually just coming before the Lord and bringing it before the Lord and praying for, for help, and but if not, Lord, if you're not going to get me out of this, your will be done. Instead of having the attitude of our Savior, our attitude often is to shut up shop, close down, and close down our spiritual life to a certain extent, maybe not completely. The thing is this. The Bible tells us the only remedy not to be taken by surprise. And suddenly, we're depressed, we've gone to sleep, we're no longer watching. And then suddenly the enemy comes upon us. A temptation or persecution might happen. Or some other disaster might come along. And then we're completely undone. The only remedy is to watch and pray. What God commands us to do, he will give us the grace and power to do it. But we have to get on our knees, as Jesus got on his knees, and cry out for this grace and help. Uh, Peter says, 1 Peter 4 verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be, Be serious. Be serious. We need to uh, look, at our, look at our lives and, and just ask the Lord uh, to help us not to be suddenly fined. The events have gone quicker than we imagined and suddenly we're in complete trouble and we're complete, unable to cope uh, with what, what, uh, what is happening. final thing I want to look at, and I really am only going to spend a couple of minutes on this, uh, is, uh, is um, the prophet Jonah. I've mentioned Three sets of people who suddenly had shocking encounters uh, that, that caused them to wake up. Well, um, you may remember in Jonah that Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord because he didn't want to preach uh, to, the, to, to, to uh, the people of Nineveh a message of repentance. So he ran away. He didn't want to actually do this. He hated the Assyrians and he didn't want that job. What happened was, of course, God sent a great storm upon, uh, upon uh, the ship that uh, uh, Jonah was taking to get away from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to go as far away as he could. And it tells us in Jonah 1 verse 5, you can look it up later, I'll just read it. The, uh, the mariners, in other words the, the crew on board the ship, were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them so that the ship wouldn't sink. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, 
the one thing that maybe many people in our country who are believers need to be woken up to is the fact that we are living in a country with 55 million people or more, people who are destined for eternal hell. We're on Spaceship Earth. Well, in fact, we're on Spaceship Britain. And most of the members of this spaceship are going to be cast into the outer darkness where men will weep and gnash their teeth. And we need to wake up to, their, to this fate. And we need to, be, to do what this, I mean, this, this idol worshipper that woke Jonah up said, pray to your God. Maybe he can save us. And many, many of us Christians need to wake up to this disaster that's happening um, and cry out to the Lord. Pray to God to deliver the millions in our planet. And I'm not just talking here about the possibility of, of, of wars or plagues and things that might, might kill people. The truth is, every six seconds on this planet, someone dies. It's a simple statistic. I think it's actually down to five, every five seconds, someone dies on this planet. We get older and then we die and go into eternity. And this great stream of souls going into a lost eternity has continued, obviously, and is continuing. How we need to wake up and pray to the Lord and indeed ourselves do something. Jonah didn't, didn't just eventually pray to the Lord. He actually then went to Nineveh and he preached the message, even though he was an unwilling preacher. He did actually preach the message of repentance and there were many, many people who were saved from doom then. Now may uh, the Lord help us you know, to realize this, this disaster is happening. This disaster of colossal number of souls being lost. And may the Lord awaken us to us to do something uh, in the Lord's power um, to help our friends, our family, our neighbors, our country in this crisis. So may the Lord uh, wake us up, make us aware of our enemies that, have, that are coming upon us, of the situations that we're in, and may the Lord help us to trust in his love, be filled with his peace and joy uh, of the Holy Spirit.